2: This, this is the most treacherous update that I can recall. We have more blow ups in high growth stocks, more disappointments. In tech, more sadness in healthcare. And they're offset by just a fantastic pair of rallies in Procter & Gamble and PayPal. Although that was enough to power the whole darn day, it seemed, with the Dow gaining 65 points. S&P down 0.04%, and the NASDAQ was off 0.48%. It was a very ugly, beautiful session. If you want to know what's working here, it's the companies that can't be crushed by the Fed or by the trade war with China. And in fairness, that is a shrinking group. I'm calling today a reprieve from the dreary grind. But we'll be right back at it with a truly dicey earnings season when we reconvene next week. So let me give you the game plan. I don't envy uh, Kimberly Clark when it reports on Monday morning because Procter & Gamble just gave us some excellent numbers. Congratulations to David Taylor. And and, and I have to tell you, it's going to be a really tough act to follow. Now, see, Procter is supposed to be getting slammed by the strong dollar, rising raw costs, rising freight costs. And yet their sales picked up dramatically and their stocks surged nearly 9%. The consumer packaged goods stocks have been tough to own. But Procter gives people hope. Let's see if Kimberly Clark can keep hope alive. We also hear from Hasbro. And these guys have been put through the worst of the Toys R Us collapse. That's flooded the toy market with excess inventory. So I doubt the company will be able to trounce the numbers yet. But if they can't do it this quarter, you know what? They're going to do it next quarter. I like the stock of Hasbro here, although I'd like it even more if it sells off. Layoffs there. Well, Brian Golder's fantastic. What can I say? He's doing everything he can. Tuesday morning is the toughest couple of hours in earnings season because you get reports from 3M, Verizon, United Technologies, Caterpillar, and McDonald's, and those are only the big ones. I am most concerned about 3M. Unless the company announces some significant changes to its worldwide portfolio, I figure it's going to guide down again thanks to the weakness in autos. It is a shame. 3M stock is now down more than 60 points. Well, it nearly 60 points. And it still hasn't been able to attract any substantial buyers. It's incredible. My travel trust owns it. It's been painful and hurtful. I think Verizon's going to report another stellar quarter. It's funny. The stock just a buck off its 52-week high because the story is all domestic with tremendous strength in wireless and a good yield. If Verizon comes in at all Monday, just go buy it, please. When well, United Technologies can finally uh, close on this Rockwell-Collins deal, it's been out there for a long time, This stock will indeed soar. But guess what? They need Chinese government approval to make it happen, and that's been elusive, to say the least. Once they get it, I see United Technologies breaking up into climate control. Otis elevators, and my favorite, aerospace. However, let me put a worrisome thought right into your head right now. Today, Honeywell, which is further along its restructuring, reported what I can only say was a monster good quarter. I was so thrilled when I walked in this morning. I said, wow. But you know what? Someone talked about tariffs on the call, and then boom, next thing you know, the stock is actually down, which frankly is pretty insane. It's mighty hard to trust the industrials because of China, and the Fed's not exactly making it easy either. So uh, since United Technologies has some housing exposure and some Chinese exposure, pass. Wow. Caterpillar should be terrific, but I doubt anyone will really care. Linked to China, slowing. Link to construction in this country, slowing. Linked to mining, eh. When you look at United, how United Rentals got annihilated, remember, they do not use Caterpillar equipment, but how they got annihilated after reporting a solid quarter, more on that later. I don't think it bodes well for Cat, even though I think it's doing well. McDonald's, on the other hand, could be, yes, the son of Procter & Gamble. It's a coiled spring, where CEO Steve Easterbrook tells a dynamite story about a return to growth in the U.S. Oh, this guy's a fabulous chief executive, and I think he's reinvigorating the company's sales with uh, franchise-pleasing ideas. Remember, the franchisees are really important, and with great technology, and a lot of good, thoughtful ideas. Now, Wednesday, we hear from Boeing, and the aerospace industry is so strong that even some negatives about China, not that I expect any, can't derail this story. I bet they'll talk about the burgeoning service business, which, like with Apple, has terrific margins. And not to mention, of course, they have an insanely large backlog at Boeing. You want to see how Time Warner's doing, don't you? Now you have to tune in to AT&T's call Wednesday morning. I think they're going to regale us with the greatness of their faster-growing media division. But I'm concerned that we'll also hear about that worrisome balance sheet that's caused the stock to lag dramatically behind Verizon. How about Ford? All right, this morning, Morgan Stanley booted Ford off its buy list, Taking uh, talking about all the dreams that didn't pan out. When I see a downgrade that close to when it records, you know what I have to say, I think it's going to be a doozy of a quarter. It's hard to believe that this stock really acts almost as badly as it did during the Great Recession. I hope the Fed listens to Ford's conference call so they can just see how, how weak some parts of this economy really, really are. Please don't be oblivious. Just Get on the call, Fed. On the other hand, I do expect a blowout number from Microsoft. It's a stock that we own from my travel trust. Now, you can follow along with what we're going to be saying and doing by joining the Plus.com club. I'm focused on Azure. That's their cloud business that's giving Amazon a run for its money, although Amazon... Still is the leader. We get results from Visa, a beloved financial technology or fintech company, and I expect it to deliver a solid quarter like we got today from American Express and PayPal. More on PayPal later. Visa's always a buy on any weakness leading up to earnings. Take a look at the chart. You'll know what I'm talking about. Oh boy, here's one. AMD reports, and the problem here is the stock has run so dramatically this year that that set the bar pretty high in itself. That said, those expectations are being reset rapidly. AMD's down more than 30 percent from its highs, including a hideous 11 percent decline today. I do not like how this stock works. If you don't, uh, it's just not working right. It's not doing what right. it's just acting badly. Now, if you already own it, uh, I don't think you should pick up anymore, and I, I think you should certainly wait if you don't have any to buy it. It's just. Doesn't act well. Thursday is huge. It kicks off with Comcast, parent company's network, which I think will stick to its knitting and talk about connectivity and profitable growth much more than I think it will discuss the acquisition of Sky. So far, the stock's been true to its form of when it does a deal, though. The last two times, Comcast has done big mergers. The stock initially reacted poorly, goes down about 7%, for rallying to crush the averages when people finally understood how good the deals were for shareholders. I think the decline's over. It did the 7% thing. Now it's ready to run. We also hear from Merck. It's key true to anti-cancer drug is one of the great blockbusters of our era, you can always judge how the quarter might be coming in by looking at the stock in competitor Bristol-Myers. Right now, it suggests Merck might be doing very darn well. After the close, Amazon, Alphabet, and Intel all report. I think the first two will be fantastic, but misunderstood, while Intel will not be fantastic at all, but perhaps liked because it isn't terrible. That's right. Just like AMD, the bar is set so high for Amazon and Alphabet that I don't know if you should even buy them ahead of their quarters. Now, their stocks have come down, but if they miss, you're going to get an excellent opportunity to buy two of the finest growth stocks of our lifetime at substantially lower levels. I don't see much risk in taking a wait-and-see approach here. Worst case, they report amazing numbers, and just like Netflix, it might not even matter. Wow, bad risk reward, huh? Finally, Friday, we have Colgate. And speaking of a high bar, oh, my, for all we know, Procter & Gamble didn't just accelerate sales. It took market share from Colgate, which used to be more nimble and much more savvy in the emerging markets. I think the risk of world will be muddled now that the stocks jumped a bit in sympathy of Procter. You know, that's like an ETF. They all went up, even the ones that should have gone down. Pass. Bottom line. Here we go. Another tough earnings week. Perhaps the toughest of all. And my watch- watchword remains the same. If a company has any of its fortunes tied to China or the Fed, then its stock is going to be guilty until it is proven innocent. And even then, I wouldn't expect the jury to acquit. Wow. OK, why don't we go to James in Georgia, please. James.
1: Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. Thank you
2: for all of your sage advice. Oh, of course, James. Thank you so much. You're very kind. What can I help you with?
1: What is your opinion of Iridium Communications, IRDM, with their network of satellites, their announced partnership with AWS, and the rise of Internet of Things? Is their stock set to take off? You know,
2: we recommended this stock years and years and years ago at 8.989. It never did a thing, but it finally has taken off. But candidly, I think it's taken off, and the story's done. I want to go to Alex in the great state of Oregon. Alex.
1: Monsignor Kramer.
2: Monsignor. Uh Thanks for everything you do. Uh, I've been in a world of pain and hurt
0: with Freeport Moe McBrand for the last four years. They're bouncing off
2: of 52-week lows, and I know they're reporting next week. Any ideas on this? It's China. Sweetheart of it's a It's China-related. We don't touch anything related to China. Nothing. Nothing at all. It's just you can't. It's just too dangerous. All right. Next week is one of the toughest earnings weeks of all because why? They all report at the same time. My advice, if a company is tied to China or the Fed, I think you need to be concerned. Maybe you'd be a little careful. Maybe money tonight. PayPal added a verb to the English language, as in just Venmo me. Will this innovator of a cashless society keep capitalizing on digital dependence? I got the CFO after earnings. Wow, see that stock today? Then United Rentals stock is down 30% year-to-date. What the heck is happening with the company? And where should you go from here? It is not an easy call. May I just tell you, I am just flummoxed about how badly that stock acts. And note to the Fed, inflation is not the issue. I'll explain, so stay with me.
3: Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, National and local marketing support and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing five billion dollar supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today.
2: Good news still matters. And that's how I felt watching PayPal stocks surge higher today in the wake of a terrific quarter. For the past month, PayPal has been getting slammed as part of the brutal sell-off in previously strong stocks, which went on today. Uh, investors panicked, decided to ring the register, which is why PayPal stock was down 12% for the month. Going into yesterday's close, 12%. Very much a, sh- a shoot first and then ask questions later scenario if they bothered to ask at all. It was agonizing to watch. We knew PayPal was doing great, and we own some from my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the Plus.com club. Then last night, the Bulls got sweet, sweet vindication. <laughs> PayPal reported a terrific quarter. Solid top and bottom line beat with strong guidance for both the rest of this year and next. Payment transaction growth grew by 27%. Company's fast-growing Venmo division saw a 78% increase in total payment volume. No wonder the stock surged $7.30, or 9.4%. Start of the day, other than Procter Gamble. And I wouldn't be surprised if it does indeed have more room to run. But do not take it from me. Let's check in with John Rainey. He's the PayPal's chief financial officer. Hear more about the quarter and where his company is headed. And Mr. Rainey, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well, John. I'll tell you why I'm doing well, because you had 9.1 million actives added. I think that's the standout figure this quarter.
1: Yeah, that's probably the thing that we point to as the most successful thing in the quarter. That's an all-time record for us. Uh, We're at uh, a rate that's uh, over 30 million on an annual basis for net new actives, and and you continue to see our platform become more relevant where we now have – almost a qu- over a quarter of a billion uh, customers on our platform.
2: Well, you know what? I, I have to tell you, John, there was a time even maybe a year and a half ago where our conversation would be, well, how bad are you going to be hurt <coughs> by uh, eBay, eBay and the separation? I now think that it's finally getting to the point I cannot wait until it's finished because of all the big deals you can do once you're totally uh, disentangled.
1: Yeah, Jim, it, it's interesting. If you look at our quarterly results, uh, the non-Ebay part of our business – grew at 28%. That was roughly eight times the rate of growth that the part of our business that relies on eBay grew. And, and, and you're right, as you note, uh, we announced a couple big partnerships in the quarter, one with Walmart, another with American Express, and we now have agreements with all four of the major networks. And what this does for us is it translates into the very first point that you made, and that's adding net that new actives, adding customers to our platform. As it becomes easier for people to vault a, a payment instrument or use us and other, other methods, uh, you see more customers coming to our platform.
2: John, I have to tell you, I couldn't tell who was more excited about the American Express deal. You guys, or frankly, on the American Express conference call last night, I know it's coincidence, you both report at the same time, but American Express thinks it's going to be gigantic. I'm talking about needle moving for both your companies.
1: Yeah, it's very exciting. You know, American Express customers will now be able to, within the the Amex app, be able to pay their friends and peers through PayPal or Venmo. At the same time, they can use their membership rewards points to go shop at many of the millions of merchants that PayPal has across the world.
2: Now, I think that we have to mention the Venmo monetization because, you know, Dan and, and yourself, you've told us over and over again, listen, we monetized PayPal when people said we couldn't. This was the quarter where you're beginning to see meaningful acceleration among the people who are, mon- who are actually using some of the monetized features in Venmo. Tell us how that's going because it seems pretty quantum.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of an inflection point for us. You're right. If we look at the most recent quarter, roughly one in four Venmo customers are using Venmo in a way today that we're able to monetize. That could be with uh, using Venmo to shop online. It could be using our physical card in a, in a in a in a store, or it could be using the instant cash withdrawal, so they can transfer funds immediately into their into their bank account. And and again, we saw growth, as you noted in your opening comments, of almost 80 percent in terms of total volume for Venmo in the quarter. It's the second quarter in a row that we've grown at that rate. So we're just really excited about what we're seeing with this part of our platform.
2: There are other companies that try to talk about how they can uh, unseat Venmo. If you don't mind, for just 30 seconds, can you explain to people who don't use Venmo or don't know about it that the millennials who do use it don't just use it to pay. It is about an expression of what they do and where they've been.
1: It, it, it totally is, and it 's very different than uh, the demographic of, of you and me, Jim, where you know maybe we don 't want to share all of our uh, payments with uh, our, our network of friends, but that 's the way that this millennial demographic is using payments and it 's a sharing society and so what venmo effectively is is a way to to share when your social network all of the payments that you 're making and, and sharing those social experiences at the same time. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's almost viral among that demographic. Just this week, my teenage son asked me if he could have a Venmo account. So that, that, that hit, hits home for me.
2: Well, my, mine have used it for a long time and just love the emojis when they pay a bill, which is not, not where I'm from. They want everyone to right. know that they had a great dinner at some place. Now, we should not overlook the fact that you are spewing cash and you are buying back shares at an incredible clip. And after today, you ended up with good prices.
1: Yep. Well, I tell you, there, there are very few companies, Jim, that I would put into the same category as us, where we're, we're a high growth company, but we also generate a tremendous amount of free cash flow for a growth company like ours. And we're putting that cash to use. Just this year, we put almost $6 billion to use either through buying back stock or going and acquiring companies for growth. And we're really excited about the ability to continue to use our balance sheet as an asset going forward.
2: You know, John, sometimes I want to dream dreams of what you can do. And I keep thinking about Dan Schulman and what he said to us at our excellent teaching. And he made a point to me. And he says, listen, we are for, we are the instrument for the unbanked. And I keep thinking, Facebook's, WhatsApp, people who do not have banks billion people you're trying to talk about being who are unbanked. It really is we're small-minded if we think just about how you might add 5 million or 7 million. We're talking about a billion addressable market, correct?
1: You're exactly correct. It's it's interesting for me in my capacity as a CFO to work for a company that is doing well financially, but we also if you look at our mission, we 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 do good. And uh, if you think about your point, you've got, I believe the number is 2 billion people in the world that don't have access to traditional financial services that you and I take for granted, like a checking account or a banking account. And financial inclusion is part of our mission. The key key element of those 2 billion people is that roughly 70% of them have a mobile device. And this is where our value proposition really shines, where we can put all of the power of uh, mobile commerce in the palm of their hand.
2: Well, I want to congratulate you and Dan for doing exactly what you said you would do and much more. John Rady, CFO of PayPal. Great to see you, sir.
1: Good seeing you, Jim.
2: Okay, this one, fellows and ladies, is not done going up. That's how big this quarter was. They have money. We'll be back after the break.
0: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future.
2: You know what has me really worried? When I look at the way the stock of United Rentals imploded yesterday with the stock plunging 15%, I do get the chills. This is the largest equipment rental company in America. It's incredibly well run. CEO Mike Nealon is a great guy. You've seen him on the show many times. And yet October has been a Freddy Krueger-esque nightmare for United Rentals. The darn thing is down 28%. (sighs) just since the beginning of the month, sinking from $163 to $117. So what what happened here? What is this? Well, part of the problem is that United Rentals is an incredibly cyclical company. They ran out all sorts of equipment, especially construction equipment, which means when the Fed signals that it's going to keep raising interest rates making new building more expensive everybody on wall street knows that's bad for business that's the lens you need to look at through look through uh, in a potential fed mandated slowdown i mean stocks like united rentals they become totally toxic <laughs> So in the company report on Wednesday night, and the results were less than perfect. The stock got thrown into the wood chipper. In fairness, the quarter wasn't actually bad. The headline numbers were great, but there was a little, let's uh, say, a lot of what I would guard as little niggling issues. Okay, that when taken together, gave the bears a lot of ammo. Are the bears right? Maybe not, but in this kind of environment where investors are increasingly afraid of the Fed, and justifiably so, all management's defenses rang hollow. Nobody wants to give companies like United Rentals the benefit of the doubt right now. It's too risky because many investors believe rightly or wrongly that if there really is a slowdown, URI's earnings are going to get obliterated. (laughs) Hence the hideous decline in its stock yesterday. Okay, I want to walk you through what happened in detail, because this exercise will get maybe I've got to put this in context. So many people are worried about this. They don't get it at all. Well, you know, so we're going to get the heart of of what's bothering this market right now. We're going to use this as an example, as an analog, as a metaphor. It's an extreme version of what's going on all over the place. First, though, let me set the stage six months ago. I would have told you that United Rentals is a fabulous company with a stock that deserves to be bought into any weakness. In fact, that's exactly what I did do when the company reported a good quarter in April and the stock pulled back because management didn't raise their forecast. Remember, didn't raise their forecast. But that was when we were having a synchronized global economic expansion, and the U.S. economy in particular was on fire. It was an environment where companies like United Rentals could make a fortune. Nobody was worried about the Fed slamming on the brakes to tame inflation back then. Nobody was suggesting there might be a pause in construction because tariffs have taken the price of steel to prohibitive levels, something we heard recently from the brilliant Barry Sternlich, the CEO of Starwood Property Trust, who provides financing for all kinds of new building. Nobody was talking about a pause in housing, like we heard from the Lenore conference. Conference call, and they're the largest home builder in America. Nobody in the Federal Reserve was saying they need to overshoot to cool the economy by raising interest rates four more times in rapid succession. That was the big picture backdrop, the macro, when we heard from United Rentals on Wednesday night. What about the micro, the company-specific stuff? Okay, when United Rentals reported in July, the company delivered a terrific top and bottom line beat and management raised guidance, but the stock barely budged in response. Oh, what a tell that is, right? Why? Because of one line. One one line item in the whole thing, pricing. The company talked about how rental rates got a bit softer later in the second quarter. If you're looking for a sign of a slowdown, this is the kind of thing that makes you worry. Even as management assured us, this was merely caused by tougher year-over-year comparisons. One last thing before I get to the actual numbers. None rentals has been on kind of a shopping spree, making a bunch of big-ticket acquisitions. In July, they snapped up Baker Corp for $715 million in cash, giving them more exposure to tank, pump filtration, and trench shoring equipment, so in other words, if you want to build a pipeline to the Permian, you might want to use them. Then, in early September, United Rentals told us they're buying Blue Line Rental. That's one of the ten largest equipment rental firms in America. They're doing that for 2.1 billion in cash. At the time, this deal was viewed as a strong positive catalyst. You know what? When they announced that deal, the stock surged back to the uh, low 170s a month ago. Hey, it makes sense. If you believe the economy is going to stay strong, it, it, it's a fantastic boot. But man, oh man, if you're worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown. This is the wrong time to double down equipment rental business. looks like they picked the wrong time to get even bigger in what they do. And earlier this month, Wall Street suddenly became very concerned that such a slowdown might be on the table, which is why United Rentals was getting pollaxed, even before it reported. So what happened on Wednesday night? All right, once again, the company delivered substantially better than expected sales and earnings. Once again, they raised their full year forecast. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, that's certainly what United Rentals thought. Mike Nealon talked about an acceleration in volume growth, improved margins, strong market demand going forward. Remember, though, the last time United Rentals gave us a beat and raised quarter, the stock did nothing. And this time, the stock got beaten to a pulp, which begs the question, how the heck does a company lose 15% of its value if you doing better than expected numbers and boosting its guidance? Well, like I said before, there were a lot of little things that bothered people. For United Rentals, the key metrics aren't sales or earnings. So those numbers I just gave you, they don't tell the tale. The key measures are the rental utilizations, rental rates and time utilization and how much they can charge for their equipment and how often that equipment gets rented out. Rental rates came in at 2.1 percent. Now, that sounds uh, okay, but uh, here's what the problem was. Wall Street was looking for 2.5. Wall Street, 2.5. United Reynolds 2.1. Now, that's not a huge miss, but the numbers deteriorated from month to month, and their time utilization declined by what's 100 basis points. That's how they calculate it. And that is actually not great. And it didn't help that while the analysts were freaking out about these figures, management didn't seem to think they were a big deal, at least on the conference call. I think that they they were complacent. The company kept arguing that rates are pretty good, and more importantly, they're leading to incredible profitability. (laughs) But the analysts kept asking over and over why pricing wasn't as good as expected. Finally, Stephen Fisher from UBS asked Point Blank. In April on this call, we were talking about 2.5% to 3% rate growth being reasonable for the year with potential for better. And now it seems like we're closer to 2%. So I guess I'm really just wondering what changed. Listening to management's response, you'd think that the analysts were trying to fabricate a negative story out of whole club, basically saying rates were about where they expected and they're practically coining money. So what? That what's the problem? What else? The company's been borrowing a lot of money to fund its acquisitions and management indicated they, they'd be fine borrowing even more money to do more deals. That's not necessarily what you want to hear in a rising interest rate environment, though. On top of that, United Rentals used to be a voracious buyer of what? Buy, 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 buy! It's own stock. They've shrunk the share cap by 23% since the end of 2013. In April, they authorized $1.25 billion repurchase program set to be put to work by the end of the next year. But when the company reported on Wednesday, what did they say? Well, they told us they're pausing the buyback until they finish acquiring Blue Line. Oh, that's not good. That's not good at all. It would be much easier to buy the stock into weakness if the company was buying right next to you. And it was that before this happened, you know what it was? It was a Trump stock, Trump stock. Now more. At these levels, United Rentals sells for just 6.4 times next year's earnings estimates. You know what that says to me? It suggests that money managers simply do not believe they'll be able to hit those estimates. Now, is actually anything really wrong with United Rentals? Probably not. At the moment, I think the company's doing just fine. But you see, that's no longer the issue with stocks. The bottom line is that United Reynolds has become a proxy for the business cycle. This is what happens to anything economically sensitive when the Fed gets too aggressive and brings to a conclusion the business cycle. Investors looking for any excuse to bail because they know the numbers will be crushed in a slowdown. So be careful, because until the Fed relents, we could see many more cyclicals that get crushed after reporting good quarters that just happen to have slight amount of hair on them. Pete in Arizona. Pete! Hey, Jim. Wicked Pete. How you doing? I am doing well, Pete. How about you? Hey, uh, Jim. I'm doing great. Just getting ready to watch uh, Trump come in in Arizona here. But All hey, right. uh, I wanted to talk about Harley-Davidson. Uh, Harley-Davidson, uh, I've been a longtime rider. Harley-Davidson has really kind of changed things. Uh, they've come out with a lot of new tech in their bikes. And they've got, uh, for 2022, they've got 15 new models coming out. That's really going to change the, uh, the stock of the company. The biggest problem I see with Harley Davidson has right now is there's a glut of motorcycles, over a million used motorcycles around North America. Harley Davidson has to be like their metric companies that compete against, where they clear out right. this old, these old motorcycles to make room for new ones. But one of the problems they have is their dealer network sells three to one used motorcycles. Right, right, that, right. to me, to me, to me is a uh, last thing, to me as a uh, shareholder, I want the corporation to make money. Okay, but Pete, here's the problem. All right, I'm going to tell it to you straight. They report next week. I think you can't look through what could be a bad quarter. We can look at it after the report, but not until then. And mainly, what you need to know about Harley Davidson is the demographic is no longer good enough to be able to support the stock price. Period. End of story. All right. I think United Rentals is doing just fine. I think Mike Nealon is doing a good job. But it's acting like a proxy for the larger business cycle, which we know is turning down. So I say be careful, because until the Fed relents, more cyclicals will probably get it just like you or I. All right. Much more mad money. Yet. It's a company that's used by the likes of Cisco, Starbucks, and Warehouser, And you may never have heard of it. I'll reveal the name when, it, when I turn in tonight's homework. And Fed field trip. I'm giving you my take on what J-PAL may be missing about our labor shortage right now, even though he's a great guy, and why I think he'd benefit from seeing what's really happening in Silicon Valley like we do and what it means for our employment situation. It's all about the homework. And your call is Robin Fire Tonight's edition of The Night Round. So stick with Kramer.
3: Monday. Kickoff the trading day was Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE.
2: About half of those are from. Millennials. Yes! I didn't Daniel even know. Daniel I Daniel just Jeopardy! Yes! You darn. Millennials are millennials. Millennials? What are are you, millennials? What are. Yeah, what are millennials? Yeah. Millennials?
3: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
2: You know me. Whenever I get a question that I'm not prepared to answer, I always take the time to do the homework. I don't like to cuff things. And then I circle back. to Give it to you, the news. Yeah, I'll give it to you on a later date when I'm more prepared. So let's get to it. On August 21st, Peter in Indiana called in about a company I didn't know It was called Smartsheet. And that's S-M-A-R for you home gamers. This is a cloud-based software platform that helps teams collaborate, get their work done more efficiently. The idea is that Smartsheet helps you share information, automate repetitive processes, and you don't need a computer science degree to make it work. Thank heavens. Now, I'm torn about these cloud-based software-as-a-service stocks. On the one hand, I believe the best of the cloud companies have terrific businesses. I, I think they'll be the major winners over the long haul. On the other hand, the market has suddenly become very hostile to this group. It is just one of the anathemas in this day, because the Fed keeps talking about inflation, and inflation is deadly to growth stocks. Since it means that their big earnings down the road many years from now will have a lot less purchasing power associated with them. Plus, way too many of these companies have come public of late. There's only so much money to go around for the sector, and that becomes just plain toxic for the group. Smartsheet does in particular have some impressive growth. Sales up 59% in the latest quarter, some of the highest we've seen, and management gave strong guidance. And while the stock had been a huge winner since it came public in April at $15, shot up to just under $20 on its first day of trading, the darn thing's been crushed in recent weeks. Just crushed. After surging to nearly 34 in early September, the stock has now plummeted to 24 in change as of today. What's changed? Well, this is what's so difficult. Nothing when it comes to the actual company, Smartsheet. The numbers were fabulous. When the company reported a month ago, uh, this this decline, it's all about money managers turning against the cloud names, trying to take profits while they still have them, because they're growing more and more elusive by the day, including today. The good news, Smartsheets is down 13% from where it was trading when Peter asked me about it. It's down 23% from when it was trading before it reported that amazing quarter. That means you're getting those terrific numbers for free. The bad news. Smartsheet stock is very much out of favor with the Wall Street fashion show, which is why the stock lost another 5% today. And that is a trait shared by the whole dastardly cohort in this session. So, could it be worth buying here? I don't want to dismiss this one out of hand because companies with 50% plus growth don't grow on trees. Here's how I look at it Smartsheet seems remarkably similar to Atlassian. One of our cloud princesses, which has been growing at about a 40 percent clip. But Atlassian's actually profitable, unlike Smartsheets. On a price to sales basis, they trade at roughly the same multiple, around 11 times next year's numbers. All told, I'd rather go with the more proven company and stick with Atlassian here. Because when you have those ratios of of uh, to sales, uh, with the stock price to sales, it, it, it's dicey. Honestly, though, if you want to buy either of these cloud stocks, I think you can afford to be patient. I recommend picking at them a little, but then wait for more weakness to build positions because, you know, I've got to tell you, it's become very gut-wrenching for this group. Now, let's talk about a group that's not gut-wrenching and one that's fun, one that is going to actually – I thought I had one of these on my – well, let me just go into it. Next up on August 21st, Bob in California wanted to know about Funco. That's F-U-N-K-O, and its symbol is F-N-K-O. And I said I'd circle back to it. Funko sells all sorts of pop culture consumer products, specially licensed collectibles, like figurines for fans of movies, TV shows, video games, sports teams, musicians, you name it. In other words, they sell chotskis. You might have heard of their brands like uh, Pop and Dorbs, the ones with the really adorable big heads. If you're my age, the appeal of this stuff, well, it may completely escape you. Uh, but the younger generation really seems to like it. Now, when this company before, when and Funko reported, it blew away the numbers. And with 32% revenue growth, as they roll out new products and expand all over the place, well, it's begging for you to pay attention. But this is another growth stock that's been put the, put right through the meat grinder. It has been sell, sell, obliterated sell, sell, sell. in the past month. It's coming public at 12 bucks, a little less than a year ago. Funko's been a wild trader. Stock peaked at $31 in September, and since then it's plunged to $18 in change. Yep, it's down roughly 40% from its highs. Once again, you see what happens when money managers become desperate to ring the register so they don't give up their profits, which is a classic September-October ritual. However, while Funko may have been a broken stock, it is not, people. It is not a broken company. In fact, it's a company with accelerating revenue growth of 35% in the first half of this year versus just 21% last year. And accelerating revenue growth, or as you know, we call it ARG, never goes out of style for long. Plus, Funko's actually profitable. It's set to earn $0.93 a share next year. Yeah, that's profit, not sales. At these levels, that means the darn thing is selling for less than 20 times earnings. That's crazy cheap. On top of everything else, Funko's also made some major deals lately. Earlier this month, we learned that their products are going to be on sale at Walmart. When? Starting this week. That's the kind of thing that looks really good heading into the holidays. Funko's little toys are Perfect stocking stuffers, or the kind of thing you say give your kid on the uh, fifth night of Hanukkah. Oh, and they're also going—they're uh, going to start selling toys inspired by Fortnite. <laughs> The hottest video game on the planet right now, and that's going to happen sometime next month. Although, candidly, I've got to tell you, that gaming business, wow, did you see Activision Blizzard? They crushed it. Look, on August 10th, Funko reported a much, 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 much better than expected quarter. Its stock surged from $17 and changed to 31 a few weeks later. Now it's back down to $18. you are practically getting that quarter for free, and it was spectacular. That's why I'm giving you actually my blessing right here, right now, to buy Funko. But remember, it's only for speculation, because it's a very small company. So even if you like it, you must tread carefully. Stick with Kramer. It is time to the <laughs> And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate That's over the lightning round. I'm going to start with James in New York. James. Booyah, Jimmy. Just wanted to uh, say thank you. big thank you from my wife, Michelle, and I. Just You've given us so much quits. Oh, thank you very much. Makes you feel good on a tough day. How can I help? (laughs) Great. Uh, Eli Lilly took a position and wanted to know your thoughts uh, I think Eli Lilly is very good but it has had such a run that I can no longer count as buying up at these levels I need to go to Luis in North Carolina Luis Hello Jim, it's Luis in North Carolina Long time since we talked, how are you? I am doing well sir, I hope you are too Yes, indeed. You know, health savings accounts are pretty big for people like me who buy insurance for their own. Yes. I love the stock. I need to know if you give us the pull the trigger note on health equity. I think it's interesting. I mean, look, I think that if paychecks decide they want to get in that business, exactly in that niche, I think that they could do great. They could actually do it pretty well through corporations. So I can't, I don't know if there's a big enough moat there, sir, but great that you called Richard in New York. Richard!
1: Richard!
2: Mr. Mr. Kramer, sir, nice to hear your voice. You're truly the master wizard of Wall Street. And you need to know that because of your constant diligence, it allowed me to retire early. Wow! I'm paying attention. I <laughs> thank you very much. God bless you. So after, anyway, after a crazy day at the market... Listening to your show keeps me in the you know okay. keeps me in the loop and gives me a better understanding. All right. Tonight, I need to have a better understanding about a stock that I started out to buy for the long haul and I'm concerned now. It's it's a General Mills. Yeah, you now see I they ask. bought this uh blue buffalo. Now we feed blue buffalo, even the, the baby form, to Bob Marley, our new pet. There's an unbelievable video of Bob Marley playing with Everest. You have to go to Twitter. That said, I go like what i it's on Twitter. It's on Twitter. But here's the problem. I don't like the stock because they took down too much money to pay for Blue Buffalo. They overpaid. They bought a lot of stock much higher, and then they're selling lower. That is not my kind of company. But you got to go see Bob Marley interacting with Everest on Twitter. Scott, North Carolina. Scott. Scott. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? Great. Uh, I watch the show every day, man. Love- Thank you. Um, my question is about GoPro. Uh, the ticker is GP. Yeah, look, I think the going could have a good holiday season. They've got new, they've got all new stuff. I think it's, you know, I think you can trade to eight, but I don't think you can get more than that because it's pretty darn speculative. I need to go to Roger in Maryland. Roger. The stock is Marriott and its sister VAC. What's going Rich, on with this uh, right, Marriott, stock in they, this group? They, they, you know, this is just people just saying the business cycle's reaching a conclusion. It's all about the Fed. Otherwise, Marriott will be higher because Arnie's doing a great job. And that. Ladies let who that
3: Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD
2: Ameritrade. Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack.
0: Everest Lisa, and I welcome new companion
2: animal, Marley. Yeah, Marley looks real good. He he slept in bed last night, didn't make any noise. He's a real sleeper. Along the way today, it's almost here. Tomorrow, Canada legalizes cannabis! No, you jokers. We stop. stop? You used to look like Art Garfunkel in your younger days. The Spartans, Springfield to the championship! Wow! Love it! Curry's hon, uh, holding the signs up. That's curry. And that's not an Indian food. It's actually the way I pronounce curry, which is K-E-R-R-Y. That's curry. All right, so today was brutal, no doubt about it. Bye. I make a point of going out to Silicon Valley multiple times each year because I need to know what's really happening out there. Every time I I come back with two conflicting sets of emotions, I'm incredibly proud of our American companies and everything they've created to make our lives easier. On the other hand, I feel horrible that these technologies are going to put so many people out of work. Because make no mistake, that's exactly what innovation does. That's one reason I'm so appalled by the Fed. It's like they just stepped out of a time machine from 25 years ago. Right at the moment when Silicon Valley is laying waste to white-collar jobs and many factory positions, that's why companies love the cloud, it lets them fire people. The Fed is obsessed with the disaster that is full employment. Never mind that we're not at full employment. The labor force particip- participation rate is below 63%. It was above 66% before the financial crisis. Unemployment's below 4% because so many people gave up on looking for jobs. But even putting that aside, technology's become an unbelievable job destroyer. And the Fed is oblivious to what's going on here because the changes aren't obvious. The cloud isn't shutting down factories. It's not driving companies out of business like we're seeing with Sears. It's a subtle displacement. But given time, I think it can do a great deal to keep inflation in check. I know it won't be easy. The people who are losing their jobs because of software from Workday or Salesforce aren't going to pick up and start making RVs in Indiana. They aren't going to serve cal- tables at a casual dining spot in New York City. They will not They will not pop up in the Permian Basin. It's a skills mismatch. But when you see the non-farm labor report each month, which shows all of these hundreds of thousands of jobs being created, when we're told we're already at full employment, ask yourself something. Where the heck are these people coming from? If there was no spare pool of the unemployed, then we wouldn't be creating new jobs and wages would be screaming higher. That's what happens in a labor shortage. That is not happening now. That's why I think Fed Chief Jay Powell should try to walk things out. Just maybe wait them out, walk them back. The workforce that's being destroyed by tech is not easily slotted back into the industries that are desperate for labor. But if you wait long enough, I think it's going to happen naturally and organically. People need to pay off their mortgages. They need to pay their car loans. They need to save for retirement. So, they'll ultimately accept retraining by necessity. Now, all of this cost-saving technology would be even more obviously deflationary, but digitization is still a double-edged sword. So, let's say you're a retailer competing with Amazon. You're going to hire a bunch of new people to help you compete on the web. As long as you develop that omnichannel business, then your company can remain viable, maybe even thrive. But what happens when there's no radical changes, no ability to catch your, rebirth, your breath and regroup? Well, then you get a Sears holdings. Yeah, something that causes mass unemployment. I know Sears seems isolated, but hardly a week goes by uh, without companies failing, often because they can't compete on the web. If I were on the Fed, and some days, boy, I really wish I were, you know what I'd do? I'd organize a field trip out to Silicon Valley. I want the open market committee to hear from all these innovative companies so they can get a sense of all the jobs that are in jeopardy and all the ones that are being destroyed by the hour. Otherwise, the Fed's never going to understand that digitization is doing a better job of keeping inflation in check than the blunt instrument of rate hikes ever could. Every minute there's someone in Silicon Valley is trying to think of a way to eliminate waste and overhead and duplication. Hey, that's business speak for finding ways to fire people. Don't be fooled. So, of the Fed, there's more slack in the labor market than it seems thanks to all this technological disruption and dislocation, courtesy what Mark Benioff from Salesforce calls the fourth industrial revolution. You just need to give all these displaced people time, and they'll come back to the workforce in places where they're most needed. In other words, you can stop and take a moment to reassess after that next rate hike, because given what I just traced out, prudence dictates giving these obsoleted by tech people Get another chance at a job. Stick with me. It. If it's caught between China and the tariffs, and the Federal Reserve and the multiple rate hikes, then the stock is going lower. That was the lesson of this week. Unless it reported a spectacular Procter and Gamble-like quarter, you ended up seeing these stocks go down. Even great stocks like Honeywell. So we have to be careful until the market's more oversold and people are saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe we have found a bottom. And I don't know yet. Like it says, always bookmark somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here with buddy Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday.